0: Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast.
1: Russia has provided us with iconic authors, Chekhov, Tolstoy, Pushkin, to name a few. Today, one of our very own Australian authors, has taken on the emotional, historical and authorial landscape that is Russia. The book is The Memory Artist and the author is Catherine Brabon. So Catherine, welcome to 3CR. Thank
0: you. It's great to be here.
1: Well, first and foremost, congratulations, the Vogel Award. Thank you. And how did that, well, the reaction, the, um, what has it meant?
0: Oh, it's been it's been wonderful. Um um, the way they run the award is that they tell the winner in September of the year before. So I've actually known for a long time and they put a non-disclosure agreement in front of you, and you have to Keep. sign it and then start the editing process so that it's all ready to go in April with um, the announcement and the book can be published on the day.
1: Did you tell anybody?
0: You're allowed to tell <laughs> one person. So I did tell my my younger sister, which was such a relief because you just need to talk about yes. it and feel that it's actually. Real and happening Um, But then once I dived into the editing process And really got stuck into the book I was just sort of happy to have that time um, Before all the excitement
1: I I get a hint of uh, a sort of controlling power here Which might lead (laughs) into the subject matter of the book Mm. Now, here we go The book is about Russia You were born in Melbourne Mm -hmm. You you live in Woodend at the moment How did you come to write about Russia so intimately?
0: I... Became interested in Russia when I was late, end of high school and when I went to uni at La Trobe, I was studying history and just kind of kept something about Russia. um, It's hard to always, you you don't really, really know what draws you to certain countries and I'm still not sure what it was about Russia, but I just kept doing Russian history subjects and uh, then I did a master's in history and really focused on the 20th century, which is really what started to... The ideas for the book. Why I decided to write literature is a whole other question. And but interesting, you, as
1: I said, you talk about it so intimately, as if you're there. Mm. Um, just to set the backdrop a little, um, we've got Pasha Ivanov, who's uh, has to revisit Moscow for his mother's funeral after living in St. Petersburg mm. for six years. But then you paint the backdrop. Of his upbringing, the dissidents, uh, the references to the literature, mm. the landscape—how were you able to acquire all that?
0: It was a slow, slow process of just sort of finding what I was interested in and pursuing. Just a f- not f- not feeling like I needed to have a historian's knowledge of the events in terms of knowing just maybe one topic in detail. It was just sort of just researching to know what one person it might have felt like for one person to live there and it was an interesting process of having to kind of and I had a a body of knowledge from my masters but then to kind of leave that behind and really get into a more personal story and that's when I was that's when I really enjoyed the writing when I could draw on what I feel was sort of the um the the themes but also the the whole aesthetic of perhaps trauma and the aftermath and loss. And it was more of a a feeling to draw on to create his character rather than all these facts that I had.
1: Yes, well, again, a novelist's perspective, an author's mm. eye, but you've got several eras here within Russia. I mean, the book is entitled The Memory Artist and in terms of um, Pasha going back to revisit Moscow, mm. he's also revisiting friends and associates, and also then gathering their memories mm. in many ways. But the memories are of different periods of Russia's history.
0: That's right.
1: The Stalinist, post-Stalinist, and then the Glasnost era. And these are all very specific yes. periods which would have their own history. Yes. How would you cope with that?
0: Uh I was interested in this idea of generational memory and how something like the Stalin years, which is characterised by repressive state mass murders, executions, the gulag labour camp, and what the reverberations of that are for each sort of succeeding generation, decade, leadership. And in the Soviet Union, what was interesting to me was that because the this communist system didn't die with Stalin. In the next generation, it was well, how does the leadership kind of maintain some kind of legitimacy for that regime? And so that was the next, the next sort of twenty years were characterized by telling one certain story of history and censoring others. And so while a lot of the the terror years, as they call them, and the the sort of executions and the outright murders stopped with. Mostly with Stalin's death, it, the the labor camps were still in operation, and what started to happen was that um, dissidents were put in psychiatric asylums and given false diagnoses. And then, from then, the 80s came along, and Gorbachev has this idea, uh, this uh, policy of Glasnost, which means openness, and saying it's time to take off the rose-colored glasses, is what he said, and look at our past and confront our stories. And so, people started actually sending in their memories their stories to newspapers and was published in the the new, the paper as though the past was the news of the day and it's just for me it's fascinating to have someone like Pasha grow up through those different eras and just sort of have that all those waves of change affecting him personally
1: but then it leads to the question of um today mm. under Putin that's right. Uh, and because the Glasnost era what's happened to it?
0: Well, that's what Pasha's grappling with in the nineties because when the Soviet Union broke down, uh, Russia's suddenly thrown into a sort of capitalist economy. People are really just struggling to live and to to kind of delve into the past is sort of a almost seen as a philosophizing luxury that people don't feel like they have the the energy, the time for, and and so the past really kind of just faded, and it didn't it didn't become something necessarily censored or repressed anymore. It was just sort of not not spoken of, and so the the, the dissidents and the the Memorial Society that I reference in the book. They are still still in operation in Russia, and history is still that this history that I'm dealing with here is still very fraught in in modern day Russia. Stalin's approval ratings are going up. Uh, Putin is very much uh, intent on having one sort of very um, nationalistic um, sort of sense of pride in the country, which which means not not suppressing the the Stalin years because that information's out there now. But just kind of characterising it in a certain way so that it's, uh, you know, unfortunate losses and that sort of, it's the the control of the language
1: really. Well, this leads to all sorts of questions which we can unpack Mm. slowly (laughs) Mm -hmm. depending on how much time we've got because you've raised so many ideas. There's this sense of nostalgia and Stalin being praised. On the one hand, you've got um, the the repression of Stalin, the gulags, etc. But um, after the week of conscience, the Memorial Society received numerous letters of protest. Memory was raw and angry, never old, never over. Stalin defended the socialist course adopted by the party and he advanced a culturally and economically backward country. Don't destroy with Stalin all that was accomplished by the people. You must not dishonour and insult all that is great in Russia. Mm. There's this sense of... Loss of from that Stalinist era.
0: Yes, that's right. A lot of people associate that as the that that letter that I've. It's inspired by real letters that I've read. Um, People felt that uh, Russia was was brought up is what the phrase that you hear quite a lot. Brought up under Stalin, um, in the sense of becoming a a strong strong world power. And so even today, when you hear, I've read and listened to interviews with. some young Russians, certainly not all, but they, you hear that same language again. Um, the, there's this belief that a, a strong leader is necessary for a country so big, and that strong leader might need to be tough on its people for some greater good.
1: But then you wonder about that greater good that is actually achieved. I think all mm. countries face that sort of question, which, which we can get into, um, you've got this notion of the control exerted in the communist era. You never really know what happens to another, Aldic continued, but I tried to understand what had happened to Maya. I read an article by one of our friends published Zamazdat in an underground journal. It was about the use of psychiatric repression against political dissidents. The pseudo-diagnosis was continuous sluggish schizophrenia. It was ingenious, really, in its horrific logic. The diagnosis made political dissent a mental disease. The psychiatrists were trained... Ordered, as it were, to diagnose this condition according to symptoms such as delusional aspirations or a heightened sense of self empowerment. By changing the meaning of medical words of disease and symptom, they created a science of absurdity according to which dissidents must be mentally sick to act as they did, there being no other logical rationale for why one would oppose a system that was, apparently, the best in the world. Mm. I'm hearing 1984. It, it's frightening, yeah. It, it, extraordinary. Mm. Well, how the the means of control that was continuously exerted mm. and the use of language. What can yes. you say about those? Yes, though, both those elements.
0: Yeah, they were two uh, big, big sort of uh, themes for me going through with the novel. And and Pasha is he's quite suspicious of language, despite being a writer. He's constantly questioning what how language can be used for such um, horrific, violent means and for control. And so he, although he's writing, he's constantly questioning that value. Well,
1: well is that why you made him a writer? To, for that role of questioning or um, that just to It just kind
0: of happened. Um, I think perhaps because so much of my own questioning is related to what goes through Pasha's mind, I think it just kind of was a nice kind of... Um, twinning together of what I was trying to explore and understand and what he was trying to explore.
1: Mm. Because, I mean, that theme of language and how it is being used, I think of certain words, justice, freedom, um, we can name without needing an image, yet they are the hardest to grasp, the easiest to lose. Every so often you get these little (laughs) pithy comments coming out, but also then the danger of um, the... Uh, use of language Oleg had told me that Ivan's works were despised by the state condemned for their severe style their unrealistic depressive quality which ran counter to acceptable ways of doing things Mm. so each society in their own way um, has censored Mm. in a a way yeah um, what was happening in Russia
0: and so that that was a the time sort of the the 50s and 60s when controlling um art was a real well I mean it was a it was an issue um sort of under the Stalin um regime as well but yeah kind of trying to set parameters for creative expression and and saying this is what is is um acceptable and the idea of um memory being a form of art really interested me so for somebody to Tell their story and um, sort of say their memories is a form of expression, and really, at its broadest, that's what what art is. And so, sort of suppressing and or con- controlling and trying to define art is really just kind of a broader symptom of what what was happening in the country.
1: Well, I mean, um, under the Nazi regime, um, mm. "All Quiet on the Western Front" was a banned book yes. because it uh, deplored the waste. Of war. Yes. Um, I mean, <laughs> uh, schools and certain countries have banned certain books. Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, I think of Mice and Men was banned at one stage. That's
0: right. Uh, it, it's but it, what what um how what artwork and what books and what language is sort of in society the uh, yeah states know that if they control that that it's a very powerful thing. Um, it's. Really interesting to read about um, Hitler's use of language and certain words that keep cropping up uh, in his in his speeches, like the word um, "fanatical" became took on um, a positive connotation under the Nazi regime because he was sort of trying to um, propagate this sense of we've got to be we've got to be fanatic to to succeed.
1: But you you also see it to well we won't say to such an extreme degree, but you see it in political discourse and mm. the controlling. Of yes. language today.
0: Oh, absolutely! You only have to sort of see. I've got this. Always got this vivid um, memory in my mind of just seeing one of Abbott's speeches, and he's standing there with Operation Sovereign Borders in huge letters behind him, and he knows, and the the you know that all that they all know what what those few three-word catchphrases can do. And that
1: they were. That the discourse was reduced to three-word exactly, catchphrases. Yeah. Earn or learn. Yes, you know, absolutely. Uh, operation yeah. Sovereign borders. We are
0: living in that completely. So, yeah, while this is a novel set in Russia, it's still an Australian novel.
1: But, but yeah, well, it's, yeah, the, the the notion, because we're getting going to move on to that notion of the collective soul, but it is established by the artists in many ways mm. or by the discourse that is taking place. Yeah. But but it is straight out of 1984 in terms of um, the the new speak, and if we can reduce mm, the number of yeah. words, uh, we can actually control the thought process. Yes, um, it's it's terrifying in uh, that regard. Um, but then, yes, that notion of the collective soul, um, of course, it's there," said so Sukhanov. Artists today don't work in a void. Neither did they in the 60s. You can't say we only begin with Soviet times. It's like saying our art only came because of communism. Ilya said the rock music movement was truer to our soul nowadays. He and I both laughed. And I raised my drink to agree with him, but the others were serious. But maybe, said Anya, maybe the better thing to ask is if it's possible to have a collective soul to begin with and whether it can travel between people or generations. She took a sip of brandy and shrugged. A collective soul.
0: Mm. So it it fascinates me that I this the, the sense of this this phrase collective memory that I've sort of studied and been interested in is kind of a perhaps a sort of a, a um, part of that idea of a collective soul in the sense that the stories that a, a society tells and the the art that it. Uh, reads and in enjoys and and producers uh, really reflects what what information is is out there, who is allowed to express themselves. Uh, so I mean that's so relevant to even Australia's story of sort of needing. I mean now we we're, we're seeing so many wonderful um, examples of indigenous art really flourishing. Uh, with sort of um, writers' festivals uh, and uh, Indigenous writing awards and things, and that's really a, a sign of what needs to happen more. To, to you need to hear all the voices. You
1: need to hear the voices, but whose responsibility is it to get those voices out? I'm talking to Catherine Brabon, uh, the the winner of the Vogel Award for the Memory Artist. We're on about a collective soul and mm-hmm. uh, the responsibility of artists. I mean. Sponsorship uh, mm. has sort of been thrown out the window. Yes, uh, by the state, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, uneconomic. Surely we don't need artists <sighs> yeah, and it, authors. Yeah.
0: It's this uh, this kind of horrible situation where art, the, that value and what what it can do for the sort of collective soul, or what, what it can do for a society can't be of course it can't be measured in those economic terms because the the effect as this book shows reverberates in such subtle ways and in such slow ways and it really things get uh sort of to the worst and to the absolute extreme with you know poets getting shot for the you know the obvious value of art to to be make itself apparent but that's we know we know the value of that so really it can't be Reduced to, to sort of an economic question, and and it can't be reduced to a, a, a sort of a minister holding the, the power to make those decisions about what to fund and what to encourage.
1: Well, I mean, yes, the discourse today is often about economics and accountability and viability, etc. Mm. An artist's work is abstract, it may uh, resonate or touch somebody, but you can't necessarily put a value on yes. it. Yes, but it builds. The nation, it builds an understanding yeah. of who we are.
0: That's right. So, it so jumps just above any kind of um, economic value. It's not. It's just there's a completely different uh, tool or um, scale of measurement for that for those sorts of things. And so, yeah, there definitely needs to be a, a division from some kind of economic consideration, uh, hmm. and to see, yeah, what it. To, to really appreciate what, what art does
1: Well, I mean, uh, I think I mentioned off-air just before I was listening to Late Night Live And about, you know, just forget the past It's not mm. important um, I've forgotten the author of that Can you oh, remember it?
0: A, it's a book called In Praise of Forgetting yes. Yeah, I haven't read it myself But i read some reviews about it And it's, yeah, it's interesting um, It's not
1: important to but, remember the past But how, well, what do we achieve by remembering the past? Mm. I mean, it in many ways, we can go overboard with that because yeah. the nostalgia we have about the Anzacs mm. is not necessarily, or it's it's a limited vision mm. in some ways of who we are. There is what took place before that, yes. what took place after that as well. That's right. How do we keep it all in perspective?
0: Yeah, it's it's really difficult because often the, these sort of forms of remembrance, like you say, the Anzacs, there's not a lot of this sort of... A, a shallowness of knowledge as to what is really being remembered and I think that's what some um, sort of those who are in praise of forgetting are saying that perhaps it's not, we don't need to sort of over-memorialise everything and I think it's, I don't agree either way, I think it's such a fraught um, a fraught question and some some people personally need to forget in order to sort of move on but I think as a society it's really, it's important to have s- these things
1: to, to or rather than forget place in perspective
0: yes that's right in yeah have ways. sort of a measured a measured knowledge and a real and I think we we really are suffering from a sort of lack of depth of knowledge for a lot of things just in general um, but I think to do with the past as well and I think yeah knowing things beyond just one day and one day of memorial or one... Monument; those sorts of things are important, and that's what the dissidents in in Russia were really caring about. It was preserving detailed knowledge. Well,
1: there's that active engagement. I mean, you've got um, that. Well, the opening chapter, Pasha remembering his childhood mm. in the kitchen, uh, the dissidents arriving, sharing ideas, the discussion, the discourse taking mm. place. Much of it's secret. Mm-hmm. Uh, much of it, in terms, some of the poems and writings memorized, so it wouldn't fade. Mm. Very important. I mean, yeah. the bleakness of what we lose. What, what do we lose if we don't have that collective soul and that perspective?
0: Yeah, I think I think it's um, yeah, really, really important questions, and just it sort of underscores the importance of preserving what what has what has come, what has been, and in a in a. Sort of a, as I said before, the the idea of preserving with with depth and with with detailed measured measured knowledge and yeah a real having a real um, story I suppose rather than just that one one or two kind of um, yeah uh, sort of days or ideas to cling yeah, to
1: the, the limited expanse. Yeah. I want to just touch on some of your writing style. There was something an mm-hmm. intriguing little thing you did. Um apart from it the whole book being well written, um, we've got a yellow house. And this really mm-hmm. got me uh during the course of reading this novel. Um you, you give this sort of little bit of background information. A yellow house. Dostoevsky often put those in his settings when his characters roamed uneasily around St. Petersburg. A hint for readers who knew about the yellow painted Obuchoskaya hospital, a mental asylum. I probably didn't get the pronunciation right. But the yellow associated with asylum, something that the Russian reader would know. You just raise it. It's almost incidental. But thereafter, whenever you come across that reference to yellow in the book, all of a sudden you get this, oh, it's that. Um, sort of melancholy or mm. what you associate with the mental asylum. So a couple of pages later, a yellow light. Later on, there's a yellow rug on the mm-hmm. sofa. Deliberate strategy? Ah, It's
0: fascinating to hear from someone who's read it and, and noticed these things. Not all are deliberate. Uh, there's definitely yellow walls and sort of a few things dropped in later on. But it's interesting to hear sort of the... The yellow blanket—that wasn't necessarily a, a deliberate, um, a deliberate sort of um, reference—but I liked the idea of, of just the fact that you're raising those questions of just, well, what I- what m- meaning is attached to certain things, and just the reader feeling a little bit on edge about what they're supposed to know and guess and understand.
1: Well, it's in some ways you could pass it off as a psychological technique. <laughs> yeah, you but- know, sort of. <laughs> well, Pavlov's dog, Pavlov, get <laughs> mentioned in there as well, mm. but a, a trigger. Uh, yeah. So it raises the possibility, yeah. uh, which is the thing. Another image that you've got in there is of maps mm-hmm. um, and the significance of those. Um, and um, page 120, I think. Uh, let me begin. I've got to try and find that reference. Um, let me begin, he said, by saying I believe that how a country... ah tre- oh, that's another one, about how people treat... It's ill. The maps um, we were living for the future. These maps mm. were of how it was yeah, going to yeah. be maps under communism. They fascinate me. Uh, yeah.
0: They have sort of several people in the book uh, have these preoccupations with maps and what they what they might mean. And I'm interested in them. I guess kind of a, a like evocational representation of trauma in a way because sort of trauma de- sort of breaks down our frameworks for how we can. Talk about things and represent them, and so that
1: the but it was it's was
0: a, a kind of an acting out of that.
1: It's a representation of the future, but we were living for the future, not mm. the present. He continued, and you know, I think we almost lived in the future. If we didn't have something we needed, well, that was okay because we shall have it tomorrow when there is communism. Uh, we shall have it tomorrow. That was what we were taught. The world, the true world, was not life in the present in a cramped communal flat or another day on the Kolkhoz farm. No, the world was as it would become. In the communist future, the present felt like a grey halfway point, mm. and the maps were a representation of the future, how it yeah. was painted to be.
0: Yes, to be exactly. It's and it's about sort of the him trying to kind of understand the mentality that he he had back then, and but then to look and think, well, they're they're kind of uh, they're, they're non towns now. They never they never came to be, uh, or in some cases were built, but then sort of. They were abandoned because that particular project was abandoned, and so they're they're kind of ghostless ghost towns, which fascinate me.
1: But if they're on the map, that it must be real. Yeah, that was
0: yeah, that was for for some people that was how it how it felt, and just sort of and under sort of needing to to have something to work towards and needing to feel like that that's got to be that's that's where we live now. That's how got to be our focus.
1: Another idea. Let me begin, he said, by saying I believe that how a country treats its ill tells us much about the country, Mm. this sort of notion of how we treat others.
0: Yes. Speak to that. Yeah. uh, So that was in reference particularly in the book to the uh, treatment of mental illness and how the the psychiatric asylums were used for for control and for the state's state's means. But I, I feel like it's a again, how the, the vulnerable or the, the targeted are labelled uh, and that's uh, yeah. sort of, yeah, relevant for any society.
1: You can take the word ill out and substitute it f- with any other yeah, yeah. minority group yeah. in many ways. Yeah, uh, that's asylum right. Seekers for yes, Australia, but I'm exactly. getting political.
0: Yeah, no, completely <laughs> agree, yeah.
1: But that's what the book in many ways speaks to and therefore getting beyond the collective soul of a country... Uh, literature can add to the collective soul of uh, a community, a nation, a people, um, a civilization mm. across those national borders as well. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah. So um, nostalgia. There was a lovely clarity under oppression is another thing. We know who our enemies are, so mm. it's easy to fight them. We're going to have to curtail the interview, Catherine. Mm. It's been a fascinating discussion, um, all the more so because of this sense of Russia that I hadn't really engaged with prior to this Mm. and didn't know much about. Um, And you've done it so, as I say, intimately with Pasha's journey. We haven't got on to his relationship with Anya, another important one, or his relationship with others that he's recalling uh, from different Eras, etc. Yeah, et yeah,
0: it's sort of a collective voice in a way. Sort a collective of a feel voice. that I was going for. Yeah, there aren't any talking marks, um, like quotation marks in the book, and I like that idea of him representing all of those voices because he's he's trying to yeah make make an art of memory.
1: And the last thing Pasha does is walk. The sand fell around my feet as I descended towards the water. I wonder what's going to happen. Catherine, thank you very much for coming. Thank in today. you. I've really enjoyed it. Uh, the book is The Memory Artist. It is an Alan Unwin publication. Thank you very much.